You're listening to the Geek Watch Podcast, Episode 37, A Geek's Guide to Black Klansmen. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 37 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me, as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Patrick. Hello. Oh, this, a little bit of behind the scenes for episode 37. This was, I have to say, an episode that, at the beginning, I really wasn't looking forward to doing, because this has been a crazy week. An interesting seven days it's been. Yeah, and as I was working on show prep, A bunch of things happened almost at once. We had an article come in about the new CW show with Batwoman. Mm -hmm. And we had Ruby Rose, who, and I think, well, we talked about this. Yeah, we did. That her casting, to me, was about as perfect as you could get for Batwoman to the level, I would say, of Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. I Mm -hmm. think the matchup was that good. But she winds up getting rid of her Twitter because she was getting a lot of harassment. Mm Mm-hmm. For basically not being gay enough. I mean, it's it's bad enough when the people from the right give you grief, but then it's like the people from the left are giving you grief. Yeah, it's, so. it's all over the place. I even saw one one little tweet today that said, oh, they have to make Batwoman a gay woman because you can't be a straight male anymore and play a superhero and someone put under there. So you want Batwoman to be played by a straight white male? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I saw that article And then I read another article almost directly after that about Tyler Blevins, who's known on Twitch as Ninja. Oh, okay. Twitch's most most popular streamer, plays a lot of Fortnite. Twitch Um, has to do with video games, if you're like me and have no idea about video games. Well, you're learning, so... But there was that article about an interview that he did where he admitted that he doesn't do streams with female gamers mm-hmm. and his reasoning behind that. And so I had that follow me. And then Sunday we have Chris Hardwick come back to Talking Dead and all the issues about that of people quitting the show because he came back, including one of their executive producers. And so I'm looking at, we got these three things that just happened within the course of, for me, like a few days of it all anxiety inducing maybe maybe not good or bad but definitely anxiety inducing well i was looking at all this and i'm like is this what this show is going to be this week not that i have a problem covering the political side of geekdom i mean obviously we hit it we don't do it all the time but when it comes up we're going to do it but i was sitting here thinking to myself i mean is really is this what our show is going to be this week it's just going to be talking politics Mm -hmm. and i was thinking about it but i have to say that Fortunately for me, I learned a lesson a long time ago. Sometimes what smart people do is they surround themselves with people that are smarter than they are and they listen. And although not everyone is privileged enough to have their own resident geek goddess to talk them off the ledge, I am fortunate that I do. (laughs) And so talk to Mandy about this. And she said, you know, why deal with all this poison when we can instead maybe talk about a little bit of the anti-venom? Mm-hmm. I thought that makes absolute sense. And so, although put we put in better words than I did, <laughs> he definitely made that sound better well, than that, I did. Well, that's that's what it sounded like in my head. Uh-huh, yeah. So. Translation into writer speak. <laughs> this is the way a writer would put this. <laughs> well, there you go. 
And so we are going to talk a little bit of politics, but we're going to talk about politics as far as art's concerned. In other words, we're going to cover these subjects in a different way, but we're going to talk about art. And so what we're going to talk about is a movie that we saw this weekend, Mm -hmm. Spike Lee's new joint, Black Klansman. You and I got a chance to see that mm-hmm. on Saturday. Saturday night. I'm not even sure exactly where to begin with this movie. Just telling you, you've got to see this movie. If you get a chance, oh. it's not playing in many places. Mm-hmm. So if you get a chance to see it, go watch it. It is such a good movie. And yes, there are great social justice and social action important parts of this. But just as much, this is a great movie. Yes. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's a good story. And the fact that it's based on a true story is just really makes it that much cooler and it keeps you on the edge of your seat you're laughing at times you're crying at times and it's a really good movie yeah spike lee has always been one of my favorite directors and i like a lot of the stuff that people are familiar with like do the right thing i'm also a big fan of some of his lesser known films like bamboozled which is an amazing film that was shot basically on prosumer cameras so uh, I've never even heard of this film. It's oh, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's a it's uh, Damon Wayans is in this film, and basically, well, to give you just kind of a, a brief overview, he plays an, a TV executive that is known for doing black lead shows, and his TV studios want him to come up with a new series, and but they want to make sure that that they're black enough. In other words. Do they have those tropes and stereotypes that people are looking for in black television? <laughs> yeah. And Damon plays a character that I wouldn't say is white acting, but he gets accused of it a lot. Mm-hmm. That he's an Oreo, shall we say, yeah. if you've heard that term before. Mm-hmm. And so after a while, he just gets fed up and he goes, oh, you want black entertainment? I'm going to create some black entertainment for you. So he creates the 21st century minstrel show. Oh. He basically creates a minstrel show. He's this already bl- sounds like there's going to be shoe polish and red paint involved. Well, there is red lipstick, uh. and they actually go traditional. They burn cork to use. Huh. Uh, yes, they go down that road. Now, they use black actors in the show, but they're in blackface. Mm-hmm. And he does this because he wants to get fired. And he's like, the minute I put this thing up, they're going to go, you're out of here. Not only does that not happen, but the show becomes a success. <laughs> Oh, it's it's the producers. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, it very much. That's that's a very good. That's a very good yeah, very mm-hmm. good comparison. And there's a lot of other stuff going on also. But one thing that fascinated me about this film, of course, is they don't shoot it on pro cameras on film. They get the cameras you get at Best Buy. Mm-hmm. They just get a bunch of these cameras to to shoot this. And so because they don't have to do takes, it actually looks more like a play. They get to run through all the way through Hmm. and let a scene develop because they have, you got all these cameras catching it. And so in a sense, it has a documentary feel to it as well. An amazing film. Kind of getting off track though, but I've been a big fan of Spike Lee. And I've always Hmm. said that, especially when it comes to movies that have a message, things that he has a passion for, when he hits a project that he's passionate about, that has something to say he's to my mind one of the best directors in hollywood Mm -hmm. and i can't really think of another director who could get away with a message movie as well as spike lee because spike gets it and black klansman to my mind is probably one of the best films he's ever done so you would call this the master's masterpiece i could not argue that that Mm -hmm. point i really couldn't because not only does he have his passion and, and he has his talent but he's got experience 
He's mm-hmm. been doing this for a long time. And this is He's isn't... worked hard for this movie. Worked his entire life to get to where he is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And all of his skill, all of his experience, all of his passion turns up on screen. What I found interesting, and, and I mean, we will be able to tie this into geekdom. This is not a... Because there's, there's some things that I think that this movie has to say to us. But the acting was just amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, John David Washington plays Ron Stallworth. A black policeman in the 70s. He becomes a policeman in Colorado. And, of course, it's an uphill climb for him because he's the first one. And he catches a lot of grief from some of the officers who are not that happy that there's a black man in their precinct. But he eventually is able to get himself into investigations. And some of the things that he winds up doing is they have him infiltrate a Black Panther rally. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he's morally torn about this. But he eventually gets this idea because he sees an ad in the paper for the Ku Klux Klan. Mm -hmm. And so he picks up the phone and he calls and he talks to someone on the other end and begins his journey to becoming a Klansman. Mm -hmm. A black man sounding white over the phone. That was a big thing. A trope throughout the movie is the difference between the way people sound on the phone. Oh, I can tell who I'm talking to. Well, how can you tell? And so trying to sound, you know, quote unquote, sound white over the phone. This movie makes a lot of points about a lot of different things. And I don't necessarily want to go into a whole lot of details about the movie because really, if you get a chance to see this, you really We don't want to spoil it. Oh, no, because mm-hmm. there's so much stuff going on. Yeah, and there's so much great stuff. There's so many great moments, and being in the audience was fantastic. And this entire audience of so many different people, and we all had this like mind watching this movie. There are moments, too, that I can remember where the theater clapped and applauded. And yes. Yes, we were so excited, and not to spoil anything, but the villains, they really get what they deserve. Mm-hmm. But at that moment... We didn't applaud and we didn't cheer. We didn't clap because we recognize that even though they got what they deserve, that the loss of life is still something tragic. Right. So we were all experiencing this together as humans. And right. I'll say some of what I would call geek references, the nods to geek culture that I, that I noticed in the movie. After explaining the bare bones of the plot, some of the geek watchers out there may be wondering, well, wait a minute, he may be able to talk to somebody on the phone, but what happens he's got to show up at a clan meeting? Hmm. Well, fortunately for him, he yes. had... An avatar! Yes. And that's exactly what Ron Stallworth called him right. on interviews with the real Ron Stallworth. He's like, and I used my avatar, and it was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so there is a gentleman who can pass for a racist white guy who uh, Ron works with, Flip Zimmerman, who's played by Adam Driver. Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. <laughs> and so Kylo replaces his helmet with a hood. So <laughs> Now, what's interesting about this also is Flip, who's standing in for Ron, happens to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of in the same situation that Ron's in, but he's in a situation where he can pass. And it, his Jewish background was never a big deal for Flip. It wasn't something that he grew up with. Right, because it was 1960s yeah. America. and Yeah, and so he didn't grow up Jewish. He didn't go to synagogue, but he was Jewish. And getting to see what Flip goes through as he deals with these people and listening to trash black people, but also hearing them trash Jews, because, of course, that's part of the rhetoric. It affects him. And watching the journey that Flip goes through is... It's much more subtle than it is, than what all the black characters are going through in this film. And there are several, and some great, great actors, great actresses, 
And I didn't even know this, that Harry Belafonte, it wasn't until after the movie that Kevin and Brian pointed him out to me. And they said, you didn't recognize his voice because I am, I am a diehard Harry Belafonte fan and I yeah. love him. And I said, no, I didn't even recognize his voice. And just to see him. And he was, at this time, Harry Belafonte, he made strives. He did The World, the Flesh, and the Devil. Then he had his own TV show where he had integrated guests, and he was just a really big part of the civil rights movement. Yeah. Well, I mean, the acting across the board was amazing. Of course, you got John David Washington, who plays Ron Stallworth, Mm -hmm. who, if the name sounds familiar, it should. He is Denzel Washington's son. Hollywood royalty. Yes. And you can definitely see his dad in some of his performance, which is great. Trivia, this wasn't the first Spike Lee movie that he was in. He played a minor role in Malcolm X as a college student, Hmm. which is interesting because his dad, of course, played Malcolm X. Yeah, he must have been, gosh, a baby. How old was he? (laughs) He was, well, he was old enough to get away with playing a college student. Mm -hmm. So bringing him back in was cool. And of course, we mentioned Adam Driver, who was amazing. Another reference that we can bring up on this, there is a a character named uh, Patrice Dumas, who's played by Laura Harrier. And her character is the president of a... The Black Student Union. Of the Black Student mm-hmm. Union. And as I said, played by Laura Harrier, which is a name that might be familiar to some of you if you remember Spider-Man Homecoming because she plays Liz, Peter Parker's crush. And when I saw her in Black Klansman, I knew I'd seen her from somewhere, but I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. She does look a little bit different with the afro that she, mm-hmm. that she and had. And the awesome glasses. And right. Brian, I will admit that this could be the movie that makes me eat my words when it comes to the Academy Awards and giving the best costumes to historical dramas because <laughs> the costumes were amazing in oh, this yeah. film. They were so spot-on accurate. The size of the collars on the men's button-up shirts, you don't see them now. And right. so, you know, building all these things from scratch is just, everything looks so good. I have to say that hearing you call something from the 70s a historical drama makes me feel really, really oh. old. <laughs> Come on. I remember the 70s. Yeah, well, you know that Captain Marvel is going to be a historical drama, too. Yeah, well, that's that's the 90s. Shut up. (laughs) What are you trying to do to me? Good Lord, what? Uh, So, (laughs) and I will say this. We do have one more geek reference. Another actor, Topher Grace. Venom from uh, Spider-Man 3. You may have known him from that 70s show when he was a kid. Right. And wow, Brian, did they not get this casting? Yeah. Well, you look at their pictures right beside each other and they look, he looks exactly like. Like, well, here's the thing. Yeah, Yeah, he looks exactly like the character that he was playing and the character he was playing was David Duke. Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. The thing about this movie is there's a a world of texture in it. There's funny in it. There's Mm -hmm. serious in it. There's a lot of stuff going on. But one thing I'm definitely going to say is the thing about this movie and why it's usually not a good idea to do a movie with a message. The old Hollywood saying is, if you want to deliver a message, call Western Union. But honestly, this movie can get away with it just because of the deft hand of a Spike Lee who knows what he's doing. He can get away with doing things that people in other movies would not be able to get away with because he knows how to do this type of a movie. He's got the bravery to do things that nobody else would have bravery to do in a movie. For example, the leader of what they called the organization, don't ever use the word clan is what they say, but the leader of the organization is kind of sympathetic. 
which nobody would have the guts to do with that type of a character. They're like, no, 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 we don't want people to care about this guy. Because, yes, he's a racist, but he's a nonviolent racist. He's not trying to stir up trouble or whatever. You look at him, and then you look at his followers, and yeah. you're like, oh, if I have to choose between the lesser of two evils, I'd right. rather talk to this guy. In a sense, he's, than... a vo- he's a voice of sanity in a really insane group of people. Mm-hmm. His followers, they're carrying eight guns on them, and they're right. ready to shoot at any moment. Anyone, doesn't matter race or anything, they're ready to shoot you. And Yeah, they're the gun-crazy people that you would expect. And you've got this one guy who's the leader of this chapter... And he's trying to maintain sanity while everybody else is just getting ready to go off the deep end. Which, like I say, a very interesting choice. It has a lot to say about race relations. What director besides Spike Lee would have the guts to do that? And it's just one of many different things. And I, I will also say, and I this happens later in the movie, and I don't think it's a spoiler to kind of mention this. But again, this is a subtle point that I don't know what other director would have had the guts to do it or the cachet than Spike Lee. But you have a scene of Klansmen with their fists raised in the air yelling white power, mm-hmm. which then transforms into the scene of a bunch of Black Panthers in the student union holding up fists yelling black power. Mm-hmm. And that dichotomy... It's an interesting image. It's a powerful image, but it's one that I don't know who besides Spike Lee would have had the guts to do. There is a lot of things being said in this movie, a lot of issues, race certainly not the least of them, but questions as the desire to change a society and organization. Do you have to separate from that to do it, or can you do it from within the system? And that's a big question in all of this because Patrice thinks that you can't be a part. That was one of the problems she had with Ron when she found out he was a cop. She's like, look, we need to make change. You can't do it from inside the system. He believed that he could. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, by the end of the movie, and again, I'm not going to go into details because I'm not... Because you should go see this movie. Because you definitely should go see this movie. But the answer to the question, can you make changes within the system? Can the system be changed? The answer we get is, well, sometimes yes. And sometimes no. The point is to keep trying. Yes. And that point is made very strongly. And as long as you're trying. You yeah. Know, uh, you know, it's the worst thing is for good men to do nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. And this movie is about the successes that they had, the failures that they had. And the ending is a mixture of those things. And one thing I can definitely say about this movie, besides the fact, go see it, go see it, go see it, go support it. As far as where this reflects in geek culture and what was the nightmare of my weekend of reading a bunch of articles about hatred, about exclusion in our culture, is that if this movie says anything, it says that us versus them doesn't work. Us versus them is not the answer. It's the problem. And... This movie has a lot to say about those things, especially especially about where our society is now. There are some references to some things that are happening now that were in the movie. And again, no spoilers, but when you see them, you'll know them. But it seems strange to me that this movie takes place in the 70s. And it seems like things are a little more reasonable then than they are now. <laughs> That was a, a serious point to be made. It's like some, if you're not careful, some of the changes you, you make or you think you've made, they can go with the breeze. 
And we live in crazy times right now and, and times that I can definitely tell you when I was younger, I never would have thought we would have seen a world like this. Mm. I mean, just the, the absolute hatred coming from both sides of the political spectrum. And obviously that stuff has to change. And I think in a real sense, this movie is a wake up call. Even in our little geek world, we've come a long way, but we've got a long way to go. And for me, Black Klansman had a lot to say about those things. And I was, I was happy. I was sad. I was amazed that a film like that could still be made in the world that we live in. But I have to say, I'm glad that it was. It also uh, makes you hopeful. Yeah, because people are still listening. And if people are listening, anything's possible. It does have so much to say. It's such a beautiful about civil justice and social action. But again, it's just a good movie. Go see it just because it's a good movie. And if you like heists and thrillers, that's what you've got it. So please go see it and let us know what you think about it. And so with that, we come to the end of episode 37 of the Geek Watch podcast. Thank you for tuning in and tune in next week for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch podcast. For Mandy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher, reminding all the geek watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch Podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch Podcast is a Hanging J production.